Hi there, this is Brandon. So there are a lot of stories out there now about climate change and about potential solutions to climate change. And this is all great because we definitely want to be talking about the climate crisis more and how we might solve some of the problems we've caused. And so you see a lot of different things out there. Some of the normal stuff is like, how do you forego fossil fuels or consume less energy by unplugging? And then there's some crazier ideas too, like putting sulfate particles in the air to replicate the effects of a volcanic eruption, which will cool the planet, or putting mirrors in space to do kind of something similar. So a lot of these solutions depend on this idea that like the modern answer is the right one. And they kind of forget that before all of this modern stuff happened, there were people who were maintaining their environment. Indigenous people with indigenous solutions, in other words. And there was a study that came out recently that talked about this, but we totally missed the point because all the coverage ended up focusing on something totally different. And it was about the world's most dangerous... Eh, I wrote about it. Here we go. In September, the world was introduced to a threat so subtle, so insidious, it had hurt almost no one. It was the cassowaries. These big birds, flightless, heavily armed, had come for us at last. They attacked us where we least expected them. In the media. The cassowaries came disguised as science. Researchers from Penn State, the Smithsonian, and universities in the United Kingdom, Australia, and New Zealand analyzed ancient eggshells collected from encampments in the rainforests of Papua New Guinea. They concluded, based on burn marks and the incubation stages of the eggs, that humans nearly 18,000 years ago were harvesting the eggs, and they were possibly even raising the birds for domestication. Now, there are a few interesting approaches to a story here. That cassowaries were domesticated maybe 10,000 years before the chicken, or that ancient humans had such a sophisticated relationship to environmental stewardship. News coverage went another way. Here's the New York Times. Quote, the world's deadliest bird was raised by people 18,000 years ago. CNN, nearly identical. Quote, world's most dangerous bird raised by humans 18,000 years ago, study suggests. Discovery was more folksy. Quote, the world's deadliest bird used to be a pet, while modern farmer leaned into its agricultural bona fides with, quote, this enormous deadly bird might have been domesticated before the chicken. Somewhere between prehistoric egg hunts and modern clickbait, the cassowary got a reputation. More than one story opens with a riff on the Times lead. Quote, the southern cassowary is often called the world's most dangerous bird, with four-inch velociraptor-like talons. It's irritable, it's aggressive, and writers are particularly fond of mentioning that it'll slice your soft middle parts open. And it didn't start with this recent study. People have been bagging on the cassowary for a long time. A bird called a cassowary, just like the one behind me. It's known as the most dangerous bird in the world. The cassowary is a close descendant of the fierce velociraptors, the dinosaurs featured in Jurassic World. Stand down. The cassowary can't even wander into a room without name-calling. One Daily Mail story made that clear with a recent headline, quote, world's most dangerous bird stuns Aussie Carpenter after strolling into his shed. Everywhere you look, it's world's deadliest or world's most dangerous. The cassowary's unwanted title is a peach of an example of the journalistic principle, if it bleeds, it leads. But the mandate that still drives so much of journalism is a leftover from our evolutionary past. A feature that once was good at keeping us alive, but now in the overstimulated modern world, 
just kind of gets in the way of what's really true. Christina Douglas is an archaeologist at Penn State, and she's the lead author on the cassowary study. She had the unique pleasure of braving the interview circuit to talk about her paper. In some cases, the the writers that I've spoken to have been, um, you know, very receptive to what I'm saying about, you know, indigenous knowledge and why that's important here. Um, but, you know, I think the the headlines that that are sort of clickbait are what end up appearing because, you know, editors and others need need people to click on the story. Yeah, it's clear from the resulting stories that there's an internal tension between the writer's desire to convey the implications of all of her research and the publications need to push out a story that'll just attract the most eyeballs. What that means is we're leaning into pop culture references, even if they don't make any sense. Everybody's, I think, obsessed with the connections between cassowaries and dinosaurs, which, you know, to be clear, cassowaries are not dinosaurs. Douglas says people couldn't get over the idea that cassowaries look kind of like velociraptors, and so that kept coming up over and over in these stories, even though they didn't say anything like that in their study. It's not possible. Listen, if there's one thing the history of evolution has taught us, it's that life will not be contained. Life breaks free, it expands to new territories, and it crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously, but... Uh, oh, there it is. Life... Uh, finds a way. Yes, and so too does journalism, even if it has to shoehorn billion-dollar Hollywood franchises into a story about indigenous animal husbandry. Of course journalists got excited conjuring images of Pleistocene-era Chris Pratt's taming dinosaur birds and, you know, possibly riding motorcycles a la Jurassic World. Images accompanying these stories often follow the model set by the New York Times. There's a cassowary glaring confrontationally into camera, plus then these foot fetish pics of its claws. Douglas says she thinks the study touched on a nerve in terms of people's relationship with, quote, dangerous animals, and that there's a fascination with this idea of wilderness and the idea that wilderness is something that we conquered and that conquering it somehow makes us fundamentally human. This is an obsession shared by us journalists who are also more or less fundamentally human. And because of this, we sometimes present a world that can seem like it wants to, you know, slice our soft middle parts open. Long before we were modern humans, before we were making cassowary omelets, we were already headline editors, wired to look for the primitive version of if it bleeds, it leads. Or in this case, if it makes you bleed, or better yet might eviscerate you, it definitely leads. Our brains evolved to alert us to tigers in the weeds. But as noted futurist Peter H. Diamandis points out, today the brain, quote, calls our attention to all the negative stories. And if you see a thousand stories, you're going to focus on the negative ones. And the media takes advantage of this, end quote. That's negativity bias, which is used by the news media, and it's used even better by social media to hack our attention. As one study puts it, quote, negative stimuli are hypothesized to carry greater informational value than positive stimuli, and to thus require greater attention in cognitive processing, end quote. The news media is made of people talking to other people, so the same ancient rules still apply, and a story will be stickier if the protagonist is a murderous, feathery dinosaur bird. And the cassowary absolutely checks that ancient box in the brain, even if the reality doesn't quite back it up. The cassowary is, quote, often called, or, quote, best known for a reputation as the world's deadliest bird. 
though I couldn't find a single story that adequately qualified that description. There are a few stories that mention soldiers stationed in New Guinea during World War II who were warned about them. The San Diego Zoo exclaims only that, quote, the cassowary is rightfully considered the most dangerous bird in the world, end quote. It's a tautology. Writers use the title because the title's been used. The closest I could find to a justification was in a much-cited 1999 survey of cassowary attacks in the Journal of Zoology that tells us, quote, cassowaries and ostriches are the only birds worldwide that have caused human deaths by physical attack, end quote. The first problem is the ostrich, a bird nobody, not even the click-hungriest headline editor, would think to call one of the deadliest birds in the world. That aside, it's a good start. It's something, data-wise. So let's see. Author Christopher P. Coffron looked at 221 cassowary attacks, 150 of which were against humans. Now, the majority of attacks resulted from people messing with the birds or feeding them and thereby changing their natural behavior. Coffron lays out his conclusion like this. Quote, although cassowaries should not be considered dangerous, they can cause serious injuries, end quote. He counted seven injuries total. But how many recorded deaths does it take to be the deadliest bird? Two, apparently, in 100 years. One was in 2019, and the other was way back in 1926, which was a kid who was trying to kill a cassowary with a stick. So, okay, sure, that's not nothing. That's technically deadly. But consider this. At least two people died from salmonella poisoning related to backyard poultry. And that was just in the last year. So, the world's deadliest bird? The chicken, living among us all this time, plotting. How could we miss it? Once again, the brain betrayed us. As psychologist Steven Pinker writes, the mind overestimates how often certain things happen if they are, quote, recent, vivid, gory, distinctive, or upsetting, end quote. In the media, that translates to the danger of the less common. Quote, plane crashes always make the news, but car crashes, which kill far more people, almost never do. Not surprisingly, many people have a fear of flying, but almost no one has a fear of driving, end quote. So if you think about it that way, chickens are certainly the world's most dangerous bird in the context of the environmental damage done by industrialized farming. Think about food poisoning and novel viruses. Think about carbon emissions and rivers made toxic. But there you have the other problem, of a danger too large to be easily comprehended by a species still essentially wired for threats the size and shape of a tiger. We conquer the wilderness, but the domesticated conquers us. But, and this is the real takeaway of the Penn State study, it doesn't have to be this way. Here's Christina Douglas again. We have this idea that people and their colonization of new places, new islands, new habitats, new landscapes always leads to degradation and extinction. And that honestly is a narrative that erases a lot of indigenous history and indigenous people's contributions to stewarding landscapes over millennia. Because in in many cases, you know, indigenous communities have maintained landscapes, they've shaped them, you know, they're, they're, they are different um, than they would have been without any contributions from people. But they have been shaped and sustained through indigenous stewardship and things do survive. The story is not that we must conquer nature before it kills us, but that we can recognize that it's not out to get us, and that there's a way to use the environment without destroying it, or ourselves. But no reporter, no reporter, wants to pitch a story about ancient eggs laid by a tarted-up emu. And no editor wants to run a headline about the world's most dangerous bird behind the chicken. Douglas said that colonization and a focus on industrialized development has meant that we ignore some of the lessons offered by indigenous cultures in favor of the wilderness narrative that pits us against the world. 
yeah, I think we should focus more on survival, and that would do a, a, a service to Indigenous communities and their contributions, especially as we enter into a future of intensifying climate change, where all of these landscapes are going to be in more precarious situations and species are going to be more vulnerable. Um, we really need to, I think, center and celebrate uh, Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous stewardship. So her paper is really about drawing attention to the fact that humans throughout history, in all kinds of environments, have had all this incredible knowledge that they've used to, you know, shape their livelihood. In turn, that also has impacts on the landscape and contributes to shaping the landscape in ways that we sometimes don't think about or imagine. What we do imagine in all our modern wisdom is a world of dangers. And the stories we tell are stories of trying to control that which seems to cycle further and further out of our control. We have our ancient wiring to blame a bit, but also a culture that says this is the only way. Deep down, below the headlines, we know there are other ways to be and other ways to tell it. The story ran originally at whowhatwhy.org, and the music is by the great Nathan Reedy. All right, we'll see you next time.